You change your life because the Holy Spirit has convicted you through the Word of God and in a sense have shown you yourself. And there you're able to see how bad you are and yet what God has to offer. And we make the changes based on God's Word. Now, understand this. The apostles... Remember what Jesus said. He already knows what's in every man's what? Heart. So when Jesus is picking these apostles, he's doing it also with wisdom. Remember last week when I said, boy, why didn't he pick them from the Pharisees? Why didn't he pick them from the Sadducees? Why didn't he pick them from one of the religious groups that was already started? He picked ordinary, everyday, hard-working folks, most of them. But it's a messed-up group. And if you really look at the disciples, you'll see the church. Because we are a messed-up group. Sometimes it's good not to know a people's past, isn't it? You just take them for what you see. And from that point, what you're discovering. I remember Roger used to ask me, Pastor, if somebody came in here just out of prison a year or two, and, and, and they were accountant maybe before they went to prison, or, or, or they're good with figures, would you allow them to become treasurer? Yeah. Why? If they're saying that they're a Christian, then I have to trust that they've been transformed, that they are a new person, and I'm not going to hold their past against them. But he brought out a good point. Suppose they're just pretending to be. Well, I won't know it until they steal from us. And sometimes you have to give the worst an opportunity. And as they say, boy, the truth will come to its to the surface. And these twelve that Jesus picked, they are something else. And we're going to talk about them a little bit. But how many of you understand the word apostle? You know, we never saw it where? In the Old Testament. You never read the word apostle in the Old Testament. In any of the Greek writings and and, and classics or whatever, you never hear the word apostle. You didn't hear the word apostle really in the application which it is used in the New Testament until Jesus used it. Now, the word itself, is an old marine terminology. It was used of ships on the sea. And it's one of those strange words that Jesus picks up and in, in a sense uses the same application, but put it upon men. It was the word that was used at sea concerning the ships that first went out before the other body of ships went out. The same meaning was there that they were sent out. I'll go back to my John Wayne for a moment. Whenever you, 
watch John Wayne and he's playing a colonel or a captain in the army and they're fighting the Indians, you, on the way out you'll always hear John Wayne make this same phrase and you can go through his movies and almost count. Man, you didn't learn nothing new. It's the same words you're using from movie to movie to movie. Scouts out! <laughs> and he sends them out. Before what? Before the body. If you take the apostles, God is sending them out, Christ is sending them out before the church ever what? Comes on the scene. He sends them out. And he sends them out with a message. He sends them out, even before the Holy Spirit comes, with gifts and powers. He sends them out. And the word itself is sent. They're sent with the message. And the word is basically was used in a marine or shipping or out on the sea, never really on land. And now Jesus is using it. It's a mixed up group that he picks. And it's a troublesome group. And we're going to look at what might have been some of the trouble that he would have had. And with some of the folks that he chose. Because it was a mixed up, crazy, messed up group. Nobody in their right mind would want to lead that group. Anybody in their right mind wouldn't want to be a pastor unless they were called. (laughs) All but one of the disciples come from Galilee. Remember what we said last week? Galilee was a hotbed for rebellion. Whether it be against the Romans or whether it be against the Jewish institution in a sense. It was a hotbed. And even when you look into Acts chapter 5 with Gamaliel, he mentions one who comes from Galilee, who misled the people and who tried to rise up against the Romans and so forth. And that's why you hear some of the phrase or the statement, Is there anything good that can come out of Nazareth? Why? It was in Galilee. The county of Galilee. Can anything good come out of there? Here comes this thing that you have the Jews. They're going to witness Jesus in this whole process dealing with Jewish authority. The religious group of that day, Jesus is going to deal with. Now, Jesus is not so concerned about the Roman government. And you really don't hear Jesus saying much of anything about the Romans per se. And I think Calvin had it right. When Calvin says the institution of the church is what provides the proper government for the citizens. That if the Christians are taught well in the church, they will govern well over the citizens. And you never hear Jesus really dealing with the issue of the Romans, per se. He's dealing with their religious philosophy, their religious thinking. Because if he can re-channel the religious philosophy and the religious teaching and all the errors that were in that day, 
in religious teaching, he would change a people. If he changed a people, he'll change the world. So he wasn't worried about government. He was worried about the teaching that was taking place in the synagogue, the Sadducees, all the other groups that so-called religious. Now, these apostles would witness his miracles. What they witnessed was this, was something that nobody else ever did. They were witnessing one who was able to take action and do what no other man has been able to do. So they witnessed his miracles. Not understanding this, not understanding them, not knowing how, but they did see it. They heard him command the waves and the storm to cease. How did he do that? (laughs) They saw him walk on water. How did he do that? And a lot of people today don't believe, so what they want to do is take all the miracles out of the, out of the Bible because, see, man can't do that, and we can only ascribe to Jesus Christ what man can do. So you want to take all the miracles out. Me and my brother and I, one time, we had a good conversation because he was one of those who wanted to take all the miracles out, take all the angels out. <laughs> And he's a reverend today preaching still. <laughs> but had to take all that stuff out. Hey. But they witnessed the miracles. The miracle says something about Jesus. He's different. He's different. Now you've got to figure out How is he different? Because, see, he eats like you. He drinks like you. He sleeps like you. He's in this fleshly body like you. So what makes him so different? What makes him so different? But they witnessed somebody that was totally different. But then something else began to happen. Private time. The apostles received private time for instructions with Jesus. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you spent some private time with Jesus? When's the last time you've been up at 3 in the morning or 2 in the morning praying or spending some time in your Bible? When's the last time when you had a thought and you're searching it out and next thing you know, three hours then slip by? That you're so engrossed and so stuck upon what you're learning and studying and, and see the conversation that you and the Lord are having, that time just goes... When's the last time that's happened for you? They got private lessons from Jesus, away from the crowd. And sometimes your best learning goes on when you're away from the crowd. Just you and Jesus. Fourthly, they witnessed his resurrection. They saw him in his new body. They saw him in his new body. This messed up group were able to experience some things with Jesus 
that others were not able to experience. And that's one of the reasons why they're so unexplainable. When you spend special time with Jesus, you become unexplainable to the people that see you and know you. Because you become so different because of the time you have spent with Jesus. That cannot be explained. And sometimes when you opt to do something or you share something, somebody almost wants to say, well, where did that come from? And spending time with Jesus. The way in which you're living, where does that come from? Spending time with Jesus. And they were able to witness this resurrection, spend time with him, see his miracles, watch him debate with the scholars of that time, with the scribes, the lawyers. They were able to witness and see him. Um, remember Jesus is involved in two major ministries. The church is involved in two major ministries. It's not a, well, do I do this and don't do the other? Because when you read the woes that Jesus shared with the Pharisees, yeah, you did these things, but you should have also done the other. Sometimes we try to focus just on one. No. You got to do it all. And sometimes that comes to us. I can't do everything. I understand that. But understand this. That is not an excuse for you not stepping out into something new and something different. You can't do everything, but you'll be doing more than what you're doing. See? His first ministry was calling and training the twelve. But as you read the Gospels, you will see all of his focus is not just on the twelve. They're important. But that was not his total focus. Understand this though. He didn't lose sight of them. He didn't lose sight of them. Because he knew he had to train them. And a lot of their training came in by what they saw and what they heard. Then there was the second ministry. The healing of brokenness. The healing of brokenness in the community. And then the teaching of the community. So often you will read where Jesus, the crowd, and Jesus taught them. Or you're reading about Jesus healing someone. You need to understand we have a broken community. We have a hurting community. And everything that's going on is trying to force the church more and more just to its own inside, leave the world alone. And understanding this, the shape of our world and the condition of our world and the conditions of our families, the condition of our society fall all right here at the church. Based on this, the Lord says, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. When the church straightens up, the world will straighten up. You'll see a different world. That doesn't mean everything will be okie-dokie. But you'll see some things that are different. They won't be as open. Because there was a time when the church was strong and vibrant. Certain things didn't come out the closet. They stayed in the closet. There is no new sin. It's just found that the door has been open and they can come out and do anything they want to do. 
where at one point the church kind of like was the guard over those doors being open. And people stayed behind the doors. They stayed in their darkness. And certain things that are taking place in the light now would not take place. Some of the stuff we see on TV would have never been on TV if the church was as strong as it was. So there's that ministry that takes place that we'll see also Jesus engaged in because he wanted the apostles to understand this. You have a two-fold ministry. Just like I am ministering to you, you are going to minister to people. But then you're also going to minister to the broader sector of the community and society. Now, this is Jesus. I want you to take a look at it. Jesus ministered to the apostles. Now, there's two titles that the apostles carried, disciple and apostle. Everybody was not an apostle. <laughs> but all were disciples. <laughs> but out of the disciples come 12 apostles. And if you want to even go a little deeper, you begin to see in Matthew 17 at the Transfiguration, there's another little inner circle that Jesus ministers to beyond just the 12 of Peter, James, and a John who somehow become a little bit closer, and he takes them up with him on the transfiguration. So even within the 12, he's still ministering to a little other little group that's just a little bit closer. But the thing about the apostles, different from the disciples, all the disciples, the apostles become his traveling companions. The, the apostles become the ones who really minister so when he feeds the 4,000 or the 5,000, who's doing that? The apostles are doing it. When he's there and he's healing quite often, who's there? All the apostles are there. Who when you find in scripture, even with children or people who's trying to get close to Jesus, you hear them saying, uh, send them away or you stay back or you stop yelling. You stop yelling out his name. Was it the apostles? They were with him. Go with me to Luke chapter 10 and uh, look at verse 1. Luke 10 1. He says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two. Now, the others are involved. But they're not as closely involved as who? As the apostles. He sends out 72. But all 72 are not apostles. They're disciples. Go to verse 17. In chapter 10, Luke, he said, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us. In your name. He sent 72 men out, gifted and empowered to do. But they were not all apostles. The apostles were godly men. But they were godly men with very little knowledge. They were godly men who had been basically taught of their Jewishness and their Jewish religion. They were godly men. I imagine just like the church is today. The church is just a bunch of thieves. The church just want to get. It don't want to give. I imagine these men saw the Pharisees walking around in their fine clothing, or the Sadducees. They're living good, and you're out here hard making a living. 
But yet they want you to take your money and do what? Pay the temple tax. They want you to take your money and give an offering. They want you to take your money, but they're doing very little. So that whole process builds up an anger. And when you go back again and study the Jews in Galilee, why they were rebelling against the institution issue that was taking place in Jerusalem. Yet God calls these men. And I imagine as they begin to sit with him, they begin to say, he don't teach like one of the Pharisees. He don't teach like the Sadducee. He don't teach like any of the scribes or lawyers that we've heard. Guess what? He, he's not even teaching like John the Baptist taught. So they're beginning to hear something new and something different that causes them to check themselves and look at themselves, even though they consider themselves godly men. As he begins to teach them, they begin to examine their own heart and look at themselves. They were ignorant of this message that Jesus was going to teach. They were ignorant of it. Let me share something with you. Most people who come through the doors of a teaching church is really ignorant of the word of God. They have a form of religion and knowledge. They have something that they think God is, and then when they get into the Word, they begin to see a different picture of the living God than what they themselves could ever imagine. They begin to see the demands and what God is asking of His people different than what they themselves have imagined or the rules they made up for themselves. And a lot of us just have this golden rule, do as unto others as they want. And, and the thing is, i got to do them before they do me. And we have all these little sayings that somehow we had incorporated, but they don't come from Scripture. Then they were narrow-minded. The narrow-mindedness here is that they limit themselves only to their Judaism. All they knew was a little bit about their Jewish religion and didn't know much about that. All they knew, the rituals, they knew the traditions, they knew which holy days they supposed to go and do, but the everyday life of that they didn't know. So they were narrow-minded because, see, all this stuff was just for the Jews. It wasn't for who? Gentiles. It wasn't for anybody outside of that. And you become narrow-minded. And Christians become narrow-minded when this is just for you. Then the superstition. They were men caught up with a lot of superstition. Remember when they was out on the sea and Jesus was walking? One of them thought that they saw, what, a ghost? They had a lot of superstition that they were following. And sometimes you and I got to watch out for our superstition. The black cat walking under a ladder, a broken mirror, the hair not just right, this has to be Another one of my John Wayne movies. Earl Flynn. Earl Flynn. The lady's reading her tea leaves. Telling the young lady that, yeah, somebody's going to come knock on the door. And before she gets done, somebody knocking on the door. She drops the cup herself. The superstition that we hold. And then the prejudice. 
the prejudice of the Jewish people against Gentiles, the prejudice that they held against the Samaritans, the prejudice that they held because other people may not be like they are or worship the way that they worshiped. And Jesus had to teach them about that. Remember, they said, there's another group over there doing it. And Jesus said, leave them alone. They're baptizing in your name. Leave them alone. Because they're not like us sometime or with us. We show prejudiceness. And then all the misconcepts that they have learned down through the years of life. You know the day when people come into church, there's, there's all kind of misconcepts. The misconcepts about church. The misconcepts of different positions in church. The misconcepts of the teachings of Jesus. You have all these misconcepts that take place. And people sometimes think they know it all. You can't teach them anything. A misconcept. For none of us know it what? Know it all. Now, they had much to unlearn. When you get into scripture, you begin to hear the word over and over again, patience or tolerance. Because when you deal with people that have to unlearn things, that's the patience. You're either going to take time with them, let them dissolve their issues, let them take care of it, let them bury it. You can't bury it for them. You can't force them to let go of something. And the issue comes for patience. Why a person unravels their own life and begin to make changes in their life. That's patience. And the apostles were going to have to learn patience with people along the way. And you see that with Jesus even. Go and sin no more. I wish we could have more of that story before she really understood what was being said to her. They had much to learn of what was good. They had much to learn of what was good. Yes, right is looked upon as bad and Good is looked upon as what? Right? And people have to unlearn that. You try to take people who are living together, they'll argue all day long. They love each other. And they'll even give you examples. They, they care for each other better than this married couple. The thing is simply this, though. It's sin. Is not being done in the proper manner that God has ordained it to be. That's what's wrong with it. Understand this about people. Old beliefs make it hard for new ideals. Old beliefs make it hard to entertain New ideals. Because I believe this is right for me. It may not be right for you. I believe this is okay, even though it's wrong. I believe it's okay. I believe this is the right way of doing this. Okay. Been doing it for five years and it works. And then the sixth year falls apart. Is it the right way? Old beliefs make it very difficult for new ideals to come in. The greater number of the disciples 
were occasional followers. Now, let me clean that up a little bit. All 72 men were not there all the time Jesus moved, but the 12 were. The 12 were. And if you look at that closely and you study history, you have to look even with Scripture. Jesus still had to eat. You didn't see Jesus taking time, though his trade was a carpenter, saying, hey, i got to take a three-month period off to go build some more homes so I can finance my ministry. You didn't see the disciples saying, oh, we got to go fish for a week or two, but we can finance our traveling with you for we can eat and sleep and buy our clothing and so forth. That's not mentioned per se, but understand this. There were those who loved the Lord that financed his ministry. And I believe those were those other disciples who were not always with him that still had to go to work. But they loved him enough and they supported him in the ministry of what they were doing. And it allows us to know some women were financial capable of helping Jesus and they did it but I think those who are not in a sense following him every moment of the day and sleeping with him eating with him moving with him that those were the individuals other disciples who have been taught by him who are now also supporting and helping him with the ministry. They would become the traveling, the 12 would become the traveling team with him. They would work with him. And they became his real companions in ministry that he was going to teach because they were going to take it into the world. Now, go with me to Mark chapter 3 and look at verse 13. Because Jesus spent a special time with them that he didn't spend with the other 72, per se. So he says, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it. I'm sorry, I said three, didn't I? Yeah, Mark 3, I'm in the wrong part here. 13, 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside. There we are. That sounds more familiar. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them what? Apostles. He chose. He picked. He did it. And he's going to spend time with them. And you can go through each one of these and, and you see what takes place. That Jesus is calling them to himself. And he's going to spend time. Now, let me share something with you. Somebody else may have led you to the Lord. But you need to understand this principle. Jesus was calling you through them. Not to them, but to himself. You were being called to Jesus. You were not called to follow a man. You were not called to follow, per se, a church. You were not called to follow a dinner. You were called unto Jesus. That's important to grab hold of. Because he's going to be your teacher through the Holy Spirit. It's his words you engulf. It's his words you treasure in your heart and mind. Don't go out of here talking about what Pastor Brown said, because what Pastor Brown said will not change your life, but what Jesus says will. Oftentimes we remember the illustration of a Tony Evans, or we remember what a Jake said in a story. But do you remember the scripture? 
that was taught or said. And we need to be able to look at that and really understand that, boy, here he is. Here he is. Go to Matthew 13. Get my eyes straight. Go to verse 36 in Matthew 13. Listen to what he says now. Then he left the crowd. If the crowd is important, let's stay with the crowd. But understand, there's a time with the crowd. There's a time with community teaching. There's a time in which you serve those outside. But there's a time in which you have a few, just a few that you spend time with, special time with, and you're teaching. You're showing them more than what you show to the crowd. And, and, and he says, that he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parables of the weed in the field. They're seeking to understand. They're seeking for more. But it's just them now that he's going to explain this to. It's just them. And they want to learn. And they want to know. It's just them. Matthew 6, 5. He says, And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and on the streets concerned, on the, on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward. Now, he's going to teach them something. You can pray to be seen by men, or you can be prayed to be heard by God. They you mean to tell me these men didn't have a prayer life or some type of life prior to meeting Jesus? I believe these men, as I said, godly men, yeah, they were praying, but not really knowing who they're praying to. How many people pray a prayer, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with this, but there's two types of prayers to be prayed when I was asked to come to Ohio Senate to pray, they sent me a book. And what I had to do is pick one of the prayers in the book that I was going to recite. And I said no. Because I knew I would be praying different than what the prayers they had selected and put in the books that you would pick from. And the process is that St. Francis of Sisi, he's written some beautiful prayers. But those prayers flowed out of what? His heart. You know what God wants to hear from me? What's flowing out of my heart. And what God wants to hear from you is what's flowing out of your heart. Not that we just read a prayer. And there's a lot of nice prayer books out here with prayers and so forth. And sometimes, yeah, they can stimulate the thought. But the thing that you want to know is this. It's flowing from your heart. Not from somebody else's. Hey. That you're talking with God because you have a relationship with Him. And it's really meaningful. Hey. And that you know it. And he says, he taught him to pray. He taught him to pray. Luke 11, 1. Then we'll run back over to Matthew. Luke 11, 1. He simply says, on the, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When, the, when he finished, one of the disciples came to him. Lord, teach us. What they're hearing is Jesus pouring out of his heart. 
Teach us. Teach us. Godly men have to sometimes learn how to pray. I'll never forget Brother Beecher, Brother Calhoun, Mike Delaney, myself, one or two other men, we would meet at 6 o'clock in the morning on Friday to pray. And we would pray up there in that old room. And I forget the gentleman's name, but he had been attending here for about two years, and he came because he was starting through a process of a divorce with his wife. Wife had left and so forth. Here was an intelligent individual, master's degree and everything, working in a high position and so forth. And his eight-year-old daughter in Sister Beecher's Sunday school class upstairs could pray far better than her father. And all he could do was try to muster up. But it was a starting. But he didn't know how to talk and communicate with God. Lord, teach us to pray. So one of the things that the disciples are doing, learning how to pray. Because in ministry, guess what you're going to have to do? Pray your way (laughs) through. You have to pray. And ministry will teach you to pray. Or it will teach you to run. <laughs> Are you willing to learn? Because that's the, where the apostles. They were willing to learn. They could have said back to Jesus. Oh, we already know some of this stuff. We've been praying for years. We've heard what the scribes have said. We've heard what the Pharisees have said. We've heard what the Sadducees have said. We've heard Gamaliel. We've heard this teacher. And we've heard that teacher. They were willing to learn. And when you're willing to learn, you will spend time. You will spend time. That's why in church we have a bunch of religious people who are ignorant of this Bible. Because they're not really willing to learn. And you've got to know more than John 3.16. You've got to know more than just a dozen scriptures that you can quote. Because many people can quote scripture having no idea of what the meaning of what the scriptures are really talking about. When you get into scripture, you want to learn God's concepts. You want to learn his principle. I remember Dr. Good, yeah, we had to remember we had to memorize a hundred verses. Our exam was writing out those hundred verses. And Dr. Gooden would tell us at the end, he said, I don't like memorization, but this is one of the requirements of the school. He said, I want you to learn the concepts and principles of God not just verses. He said so many people take verses out of the content in which that verse is and then misuse that verse rather than knowing the content and the principle and the philosophy that's being taught. Do you desire more? Do you desire more? Just because you read through the New Testament Last year don't mean you don't need to read through it this year. Just because you've had the privilege of reading the whole Bible don't mean that you don't need to go back through it again and again and again. Just because you said in Sunday school when you were a young adult don't mean you shouldn't sit there when you're an old adult. Life is a constant, ongoing learning. But the question is this, do you want to learn more? And there's two ways for you to learn as a Christian that is vital. My wife, I said something last night, and she told 
Leave that theology out of here. <laughs> we, we were hearing one of the passages that we, were, we both like, and he was talking about heaven and the golden streets and, and this and that, you know. And I told her, you know, uh, that's figurative language, that's, you know. And she said, there's really gold streets up there. Like she'd been up there to see them. <laughs> and see, what comes to my mind, ears have not heard, nor eyes have what? Seen. What God has prepared for us in heaven. And whatever John was trying to explain, gold is valuable to us. Gold is this to us. But God may have something that is far better than gold. Hey, John was doing his best to describe it to us. Let me run on here for about 10 minutes because I want you to see something about our Lord. When you look at these men, Peter and Andrew were brothers. Different, but they were brothers. James and John, brothers. They were brothers. Yeah. And even to the point with Philip and Nathaniel, many describes them as brothers. So you got these different ones who got family members in this grouping. See? And remember two of the brothers, the mother said, Hey, Jesus, set one of my sons where? On the left and put one on the right. Them guys wanted to monopolize. They wanted to take control if anybody's going to be in control. When Jesus left, they wanted to be sitting in the driver's seat. How do you think the mother ones were feeling? And Jesus had to teach them a lesson about the ones that seek to be great. They are the ones that should become the servants. Was well, sad part about it. Most of us don't want to be servants. We want to be served. But here is James and John, and here's Peter and Andrew. Here's Philip and Nathaniel, uh, our brothers, and so forth. And then you have Matthew. Why would I call him Matthew, a publican? Somebody who's loyal to the Roman government. Somebody who is taking up taxes for them. Why would I call them? You know, but he calls him. Then, Theodos. He is known by at least three other names. And when you think of somebody known with other names, the question comes into thought, uh, are these nicknames or are these deceptive names? Has this person had felonies? Has this person been known in this or in that? Uh, Why all these different names? And uh, he has him in the mix. And then he has Simon, the zealot, a killer, and an outright hater of the Romans or Jews who would support the Romans in any kind of way. Why would you bring that into your mix? And then you got Judas, who he knew right out was a deceiver talking about being a hypocrite that was Judas and a thief that scripture speaks of him stealing from where? from the treasury well I'm on it now where did that little money come from that he was treasure over <laughs> and that's other people were doing what? giving to it and then you have James the son of Alphaeus brother to Matthew. Now you got two more brothers here. Alphaeus and Matthew? 
You got a lot of family being mixed up in this mess. And then you got Philip. Philip was the one also who may have known Greek, but he was the one who introduced the Greek Jews to who? To Jesus. The other disciples wouldn't have nothing to do with They didn't want to mess with them. Folks who somewhat deserted Judaism and they're off somewhere else and they speak another language and But there's Philip. And what did Philip do when he met the Lord? He went very quickly to find who? Nathaniel. Bethalonew, who also known as Nathaniel. Very skeptical. He's the one who says, is there anything good that can come out of Nazareth? He's the one who's very skeptical about Jesus. Why? I'm getting ready to put my neck in a noose here. If this man isn't really who he says he is, I might be hurt. So he's very watchful. And then you have Thomas. Thomas was just confused. He didn't know what to believe. Have you ever been in that position? I listened in Sunday school. Sometimes we want to believe and then there's time we're having trouble to what? To believe. The whole process, wanting to believe. And remember what Jesus said to Thomas? Come, put your hand right here. Then he told him, stop doubting and what? Believe. Because he has trouble believing. We have that in the church today. People who are troubled what? Believing. We have that in the church today. People who are deceivers. All they want to do is get, but they don't want to give. We have that in the church today. Of those who hate anybody who's not like them. We have that in the church today. Those who steal from the government and, and, and work for the government and, and, and do all this other kind of stuff that takes place. We have a little bit of everything that Jesus picked that was a mess. But what he shows in this mess is the glory of the gospel that is able to transcend all of our messes. And that he can take a group of people who are all messed up, sideways, upside down, everything else. And he can make them a mighty force for his glory. Now, closing, just think about this. Simon de Zula with Matthew the publican, the tax collector. Simon would kill anything that worked for the government. It's like putting the Ku Klux Klan down to dinner with a Black Panther. It's like bringing a skinhead in with a Black Muslim. (laughs) And Jesus is saying, all of you, come to this table. Come to this table. Well, I'm not coming because Jasper's there. I'm not coming because this person's there. No, I'm not doing that because that person's there. And Jesus says, come to the table. And we're going to start dealing with your life. Two things that has to take place and we're done. Because these brothers were bidding for position... That even caused more problems within the church. Because in the church, people bid for sometimes positions. Especially if you have a good number of church, people want to be up. And people sometimes want to be next to the pastor. Or the people want to be this. Or the people want to be that. And they want to be in this role and that role. Titles become important all of a sudden. That might be a blessing being small. 
Go with me to John chapter 13. John 13. Because, see, this mixed up group, they were going to have to learn this. And this is not something to teach when you got a group like this. It's not something that is easy to teach when you have a mixture of people, of classes of people, ethnic backgrounds of people, classes of people, intellectual people, and ignorant people, untaught people. That's not easy to teach this principle. Remember the old saying that old folks used to say? Uh, uh, geese flock together, or ducks flock together. It's hard to get people to cross lines and mingle with other people. That's difficult, even in the church. And this is what the disciples had to learn, and this is what Jesus had to teach that was very difficult. Not only could it be in words, but it had to be in action. Because love is an action. Love is an action. He says in verse 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples. In other words, all men will know that you've been taught by me. All men know that you're following out my teaching if you do this. If you love one another, if you really show a love for other people, even in this place where you don't want to sit down with that publican, you don't want to sit down with this Zulak, you don't want to sit down and you're angry with what these other two brothers try to sneak behind y'all's back and do. To teach them to love each other and care for each other. To teach them that. That is still the most difficult thing in church life to teach. The body of Christ to really care for each other. Just think with me for a moment. If the body of Christ would care for each other, not one church would close. Because every church would come to its aid. Every church would minister to wherever its needs were. Because we're caring for each other, loving each other, not just those in these walls, but we're concerned about the brother and sister down the street. We're concerned about that brother and sister over that way. We're concerned. And then the second thing, go back to John 8. In verse 31. Yes. He says to the Jews. So he's speaking to a different group, but guess who's there? Disciples from likely right there. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Two things. To prove that you really are born again and you're really living the Christian life is that you love not just people that you're fond of. See, I got some family members I'm not really fond of. And I'm, and and I'm not one of their fond individuals that they really... You have that in family. But I still love them. the demonstration of your love to people. And then secondly, 
Where do you put God's teaching at? Do you put God's teaching and his principles and his standards, are they down here? Are they up here? Are they right here? Or are they up here? Where do you place the importance of God's word in your life? How valuable is it really to you? How meaningful is it to you? And when you love your brother Christian and even love those outside of the church, it starts in the church. Why? Because, see, we're going to rub each other far worse than what the world rubs us. And if I can learn to love you in spite of yourself and all the ugly stuff you do, then it's easy to love the world. So we're tested where at? Right here. And then we export it out. And then we learn his teaching right here. And we grow in his teaching right here. We practice his teaching right here. And then we take it where? Outside. Father, we thank you and praise you that the training in the